0: Friends, welcome to part two of my interview with Lieutenant Jessica Schaefer. I call her Jess. She's my wife. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back and check it out. A lot of very insightful leadership nuggets and followership nuggets. Uh, Jess is a big fan of followership, and she definitely believes that we should place more emphasis on, on followership. The views and opinions you hear from Jess in this upcoming interview as long as the first one are her views only, her personal views on leadership and and her Coast Guard experiences and are not in any way representative of the United States Coast Guard, nor are they the Coast Guard's official position or stance on said positions, opinions, etc. Hope you enjoyed this interview. Here we go.
1: Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution. You are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of Leidosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of Leadosophy, Tim Woody.
0: Okay, so let's get away from bass. Bernard Bass, Handbook of Leadership. I got two final questions that I want to talk about because they're super important to me, and I know they're important to you. One really, both of them actually has to deal with a lot of your leadership experiences and fellowship experiences. And then the other one is emergency management, um, kind of connotation. So the first one is I want to discuss this whole, you've been, you've done a lot of female first, right? Well, not first, as far as surfmen, surfman, like you're the second female surfman in Coast Guard history, going back to 1790, the history of the United States Coast Guard. You are the first female commanding officer of Coast Guard Station Disappointment.
1: Disappointment? Cape Disappointment?
0: Cape Disappointment. What'd I say? Disappointment. Coast Coast Guard Guard Station Station. Disappointment? (laughs) Yeah. Coast Guard Station Cape Disappointment in Ilwaco, Washington. So... Sometimes, knowing you like I do, the female accolades, the qualification of female in front of whatever it is, right, they don't always sit well with you. And I can see when sometimes when people say it, even right now, I'm just like, I can see, I can see, and we're not recording, obviously, video, this is just audio, but uh, so it appeared, my assumption is that this doesn't always sit well with you. We've had discussions about it. So am I correct in this assumption that the whole qualifying the first ex, female ex, sometimes doesn't sit well with you? Is it situational? Can you kind of help me understand or you know, debunk my, my, my assumption or don't debunk it?
1: Well, first off, I mean, you know that it doesn't sit well with me, so you're being a little bit coy there um yeah but, but as, not at all, like all
0: not in all cases because there's some things were super yeah. super awesome like you when, were the first female commanding officer of Coast Guard Station Cape, Cape Disappointment
1: when it is useful or when it helps or encourages somebody else or helps or benefits someone else it's very rewarding
0: what do you mean like pave the way
1: it's used as a qualifier where it has no basis for qualification is when i start to get a, a little bit annoyed with it um, any time i hear anybody say that because what it does for it, it highlights a difference instead of highlights a competency and i grew up i was one of five total girls in our family now but growing up it was me and my sister and we had two older stepsisters. Um, my father, you know, my real father grew up in a, you know, worked a Pepsi truck driver and was an accountant, right? He is now a very successful investment manager, accountant in his own right. And then you have my stepfather who lived with me since I was 11, who was in the construction business his whole life. And the one thing, you know, about my stepfather I will say is, he was he was pretty a, a traditional you know into t- like traditional roles but my mom was always a working woman and there was never an expectation that she wasn't able to do everything and you know i i i grew up and me culturally there was just never an expectation of me to be any less than anyone else you know if if, if chuck needed help in the garage with the cars it wasn't like he could ask my brother air quoting i'm air quoting right now it was we had to go help him with the cards If the law need mode. There wasn't a gender. I never grew up because there wasn't another gender in the household. I never grew up with a gender identifier for anything. It was just.
0: This needs done. Get it done.
1: Yes. Right. And I think in the same respect, my mother had four sisters growing up and one brother. And so she grew up very similar to that. And that if something needs done, you just do it. There was never like a, you know, boys take out the trash. This. I always laugh, you know, when Michael and you know my nieces will be here and your son and and carson will be here i'll be like you know michael i'm not a big into gender roles but every i think he was 16 at the time i'd be like every 16 year old boy can take out the trash yeah. you know like i joke about that sort of stuff even with you there are certain things in the, around the house that you just do that would be traditionally considered male like what like you're really good at taking out the trash on mondays
0: i am very good
1: you know, I laugh when I see those kind of traditional roles, but I didn't grow up in an environment, um, you know, rowing crew in college, it was a, it was a, we were a male and female team, we didn't have co-ed boats necessarily, but we practiced together, we traveled together, we raced together, and there was never an expectation, I don't ever remember, you know, we'd line up and there'd be like that jostling, like joke that the guys would crush the girls or whatever, but if anybody knows anything about crew is, any given Sunday with crew because if your boat's not set there's all these technical terms you throw out to where you know a group of girls could outpower a group of dudes even if it was just for a short period of time I remember the first time I had a in my career it was about nine years in no yeah about nine years in I had my first crew where it was all girls and I didn't realize it um, Because when I was making the cruise, I was just looking at people's certifications. And this had happened before. You were
0: looking at competency.
1: I was looking at competency. We have positions that we have to fill in a boat. And that day, I filled these positions on the boat with just those were the people that were up on the list. And um, we had a person in the water. And there was a concern that we weren't going to be able to lift the person out of the water. And long story short, we lifted the person out of the water. Sometimes it's so well-placed and sometimes I support it fully and it doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? I'm happy to be that for somebody. But most of the time, what I have struggled for and strived for is acceptance into the larger group. And so that's why it bothers me personally is it, it, it separates me from the, from the group I'm trying to be a part of unintentionally. Yeah, sure. Um, but that's what I don't like about it.
0: Do you believe there are instances, and I don't know if just in the military is a good example, but are there, is there a place in time for female mentorship for leaders? Absolutely. Okay. I've, I actually didn't expect you to answer that emphatically. I was a little hesitant to ask it because-
1: No, I think, I think we're- Because you
0: know me, I'm like a little sensitive to that. <laughs> so-
1: Well, I think where leadership is not very gender specific, I think mentorship can be. Having somebody like you to call when you are struggling with something. I think the same thing about leadership and mentorship is it just provides another aspect. Is
0: there a difference? I I don't know. I I think
1: there is. I think leadership is that, you know, when you have to basically create that environment to enable a group to have success, I think mentorship- A
0: fertile environment for plants to grow.
1: Right, I think mentorship is more, individually based and specifically addresses somebody's inability or ability to fit in with that environment and their ability to use those individual tools knowledges and resources not the collective
0: and help them achieve goals things like that very specific things right very
1: specific things and very specific individual
0: there's got to be some overlap though between those
1: absolutely you can be both to somebody Right. right um but i think like mentorship for example i i've never had children My own, anyway. I I stole. I cheated. I borrowed and vicariously lived through yours, right? So if a woman gets, if a woman under my command were to get pregnant, I don't have, this is where leadership and mentorship, leadership, I have my checklist. I know, you know, what resources, blah, blah, blah. Mentorship-wise, I call my friend who has very successfully had a family and done the same job that we're doing, and I, I either ask her you know what I mean I get mentorship from her on how best to serve the member that works for me that's not leadership that's mentorship and it's very specific mentorship that is very gender specific because it is a woman's issue
0: Yeah, that's a good example
1: so that's where I think that that mentorship is very key and I think that you know in my perfect world you would have a leadership symposium and then you would have maybe mentorship breakouts that are specific to those individual situations and maybe there is a mentorship breakout of I mean I had a single father at my last unit that was a unique experience and I know I've told many people this but I think that your experience which may be you know another day another time of retiring and following me around has been more fascinating for me to watch than my experience coming up you breaking the gender mold and being the stay-at-home husband.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, it's the main you don't r- have
1: a problem with it, but people have pointed it out to you.
0: I have had people say to me or, or act, either act or actually physically tell me they didn't understand how I was staying home while my wife worked full-time. Yes. Even though, I mean, I was going to school. I wasn't just like not doing anything. But I mean, it was. But people were perplexed that you were were kind of the breadwinner of our family. You were working a full-time job and I was not doing that. And again, I've had people visually by their expressions when I tell them that look disgusted, surprised, shocked. I'm not the problem. You you may need to examine your own views. If that bothers you, you may have to try to figure out why that bothers you. It doesn't bother me. And I'm the one actually living the life of, you know, having a wife that is supporting me. I mean, essentially. Right. So, yeah, it's yeah. again, that's people grow up different ways. They're taught certain values and principles and
1: you know that is changing there are a lot and honestly with COVID, i'm sure it's going to even change more that dynamic is going to change a lot more
0: oh yeah i mean sure everything's changed or changing
1: and i'm not trying to necessarily say that it's a negative thing to highlight accomplishments of any person any person i just wish there was i think there could be more care and when to choose to do that and when not to um i think you know and i've said it before and i stole it from you know, the, the fighter pilot that I watched speak at a women's leadership symposium. Right. But she nailed it when she said that she realized that she was accepted by her command when they didn't refer to her as the first female fighter pilot. And when he just looked at her and said, well, my fighter pilot said this, and she's like, I'm just, a fi- I am, I've made it, right. you know? And, um, and that really resonated with me because I did just wanna be a surfman. You know, I you know, people ask me all the time, does that name bother you surfmen? And absolutely not. It's a heritage, it's not a title, it's a heritage. To man the boat by hand because they used to row physically out into the seas. And I mean sure it was only men that did it, and maybe that was part of it, but I just don't look at it that way. That's not the perspective I choose to have.
0: Good stuff. Thanks for unpacking the the female stuff because like I said, I, I knew I, I have a gen obviously a general I have a general ideas of what you think about it, but I don't I don't always know when it bothers you and when it, I don't know where, where that line, when that line is crossed. I'm sure for you, it's very distinct sometimes. Uh, but for me, kind of a little bit on the outside, I don't, again, law of unique experiences, mm-hmm. two different genders, completely different experiences, right, we look through different realities. We
1: talk about our different leadership experiences in the service the whole time, a lot.
0: We do, yeah different different roads some are paved easier than others we talk about that all the time Mm -hmm. so final topic you 2017 hurricane maria yes you were chosen amongst a small team of capable able proud coast guard men and women Mm -hmm. were sent down to puerto rico and this was What was the first hurricane right before Maria?
1: Irma. How could you forget? Yeah,
0: Hurricane Irma immediately a few weeks later. Was it Maria hit?
1: Uh, Kind of like while we were finishing up Irma, because it was, I think it was, and somebody can fact check me, I think it was Harvey, Irma, Maria. Right. was the sequence of.
0: I thought Harvey was a Texas one. It was. A year later or so. It was.
1: But back, you know, when we were talking earlier, you were talking about preparedness and if people were prepared, there weren't being, you know, Irma was a devastating hurricane.
0: Well, especially over the Caribbean, Mm -hmm. went through there, right? Absolutely. Irma rips through the Caribbean.
1: And Key West and the Keys. That's right. Destroys the Keys.
0: That's right. And then on On the the
1: heels of that, Maria comes through and just wipes wipes the plate clean.
0: So you were on call. I mean, you were the executive officer of Station Fort Lauderdale, second in Mm -hmm. command for both hurricanes. And then for Hurricane Maria, you were tasked with going to Puerto Rico to help a— devastated infrastructure yes before i let you take over 12 years earlier 2005 you volunteered to go to new orleans for a hurricane Katrina. hurricane katrina response as part of the coast guard can you talk about those two experiences maybe some of the similarities and differences between you are far different stages of your coast guard career both instances and then mainly i want to unpack kind of what you did down in hurricane maria with your team because i think that was pretty awesome but take it away
1: sure so the first part of the question being kind of like the differences in dynamics so when i went for katrina um katrina was katrina there's a reason um why it's studied there's a reason why my emergency management field that i ended up going into why i devoted so much energy and effort into researching that and you know that's what i did a large portion of my master's program on And when I went to Katrina, I was here, and I was a junior enlisted person. You were Um, here? And and actually at the National Lifeboat School at Cape Disappointment at Waco, Washington, I started my career here. Um, I was at E5 at the time, so uh, what we would consider junior enlisted junior personnel. And I actually was asked to go down there as part of the Critical Incident Stress Management team, which is back to, I referenced that a little bit earlier when we were talking about Um, you have to get out of theater to kind of deal with all the things that just happened to you. It's hard to deal with things in the moment, right? So our job was to go down there and provide the tools and resources for people to deal with the, you know, the psyche, not that I'm a psychologist, but it's just to be a team, to provide resources. Just to
0: process things emotionally. right?
1: And provide people with tools and resources that as they were coming and going from Katrina, that they would know who to call if they had any trouble processing what they'd seen, because it was devastating. I don't need to. Sure. So I remember I landed there and called my mom and you know, this was again, pre cell phones, I think we were still flip phone in it. Right? 2005, 2005, Definitely not an iPhone yet.
0: Or maybe like the brick Nokia phone.
1: Yeah, no, I think I had a flip phone. Uh, I think so. Probably. But I remember calling her and saying, Hey, I, uh, I'm not going into New Orleans, Nola. I'm not going down to New Orleans. I'm gonna be up here and then I'm all good, checking in, call you in a couple weeks. Well, sure enough, I turned around 10 minutes later. I'm on a Coast Guard fixed wing, like plane, normal little jet headed into New Orleans where I caught a helo and headed deeper into New Orleans and ended up in the thick of all the response. And our mission vastly grew and that's where I First learned my favorite saying that I say all the time, all hands on deck. And our roles and our responsibilities just morphed into just do whatever you can, whenever you can to help. So, you know, we went down there with one mission or purpose and then you got to adapt, you got to flex, you got to shift and you just have to figure out what your mission is.
0: It's kind of like just control the chaos the best you can, right?
1: Absolutely. That was a very crazy insight into how incident management emergency disaster and and incident management that was a crash course and how that should or should not look and it was also a crash course in you see a problem can you fix it are you the person to fix it should you be fixing it what and then shifting even deeper to the downstream effects of whatever you do to fix something
0: uh intended and unintended consequences Right.
1: right so that was, uh, you know, trial by fire, water hose. Again, made some great professional networking contacts there. Had some, you know, I could do an entire podcast on the experiences down there.
0: Didn't you tell me at one point you were shocked at how dark it was?
1: Yes. That has always been my biggest thing. If anybody ever had a disaster, I remember during the tsunami, the West Coast tsunami, 2010. Are my dates right? 2008.
0: 2010, the one that hit like San Francisco or Crescent City?
1: Yep, Crescent City, Washington. And uh, we'll have to figure out whatever that date is. But I remember during that, we were pulling away from the dock and we were evacuating um, at the time. And our goal is to get to deep water and let the wave pass underneath us and then come in and respond. And I remember leaving and pulling away from the dock and one of my crew members was like, you know, at the time I was a Boson Mate First Class BM1 E6, he's like, BM-1, what do you think's gonna happen? And I'm like, I will tell you one thing, and I know one thing for certain. If the tsunami actually does hit, I need you guys to be prepared for how dark it will be. And you need to mentally prepare yourself for just how physically dark it is. Um, Because that to me was kind of the most shocking thing.
0: Because that's what you remembered from Katrina.
1: Absolutely. I remember feeling that way. I remember having one of the Coast Guard cutters that came down the river to assist. He said that it was so disorienting because it was so dark and that at one point they kind of saw some lights over to the side and then they saw a light kind of turn towards them and then a bunch of lights bouncing, you know, people running towards their their Coast Guard cutter as they were coming down the river. And just that pitch blackness, you, you know, there's no street signs, all the street signs are gone. You're navigating by a map, you know, you're really back to the basics we always talk about back to the basics. You you have to get back to basic survival instincts. Food, water, shelter. And I just remember not being prepared for the fact that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, but you're outside. You know, and there's no ambient light on a couple of those nights. We just didn't have moonlight those days.
0: Right.
1: So And I think people that live in cities, even here, you know, we complain when we go out to take pictures of the stars or try to catch the northern lights on the one day it's supposed to be here. We're like, Where's so much ambient light and we're out in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, that's a that's a big thing. That was a big thing. But I remember, you know, talk about leadership. You're leading that small boat crew and you're pulling away from the dock and you're taking one one thing from a major disaster and now you're applying it to another because I'd had experience in a disaster and now I'm in charge of a really small crew and we might be the only people that are able to respond back into the bay at that time. And that's what I was processing the whole way out there. I was like, okay, well, you guys need to sleep. First off, we had to get pretty far in 45 minutes. So I remember being like, all your driving, You know, we talked about driving skills and the best way to do something. That was one of those autocratic days where I was like, you need to do it exactly like this we'll all be fine, you just need to charge. It was 14 foot off. The
0: There's road. not a lot of room for discussion.
1: No, it's like you need to get straight offshore the hard way and the hard way for us is just, engines down, going as fast as you can. It's not a fun ride, it's not a comfy ride, but we needed to be at a certain position because that's when the wave was expected to come in. So that's that knowledge, training, and experience. I had known that from being up here and had a couple of drills up here in Washington State prior to And so that's me having that moment where I'm like, I know you're trying to give us a good ride and make sure you don't hurt anybody on the boat, but right now it's important we get offshore. So we did that and then shift to 12 years later, or I guess that's more 10 years later.
0: 12 years is 2017.
1: Yeah, so. Hurricane Maria. Hurricane Maria. um, You know, I do get asked, and I hope you have him on your podcast too, um, by Toby Olson. Uh, he requested that I go with him. He had just got done doing, speaking of phenomenal leadership, he helped reestablish Key West after that hurricane rolled
0: through. After Irma rolled through a yes. month or so, a few weeks earlier, right?
1: A few weeks earlier, right? So yeah. we were kind of all wrapping up And there. you
0: were, just so the listeners know, you were stationed in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the yes. time. So and South so Florida. Florida. I
1: was, we had just kind of buttoned our unit back up. And, and I'll be honest, we were all kind of up. You know, there were 11 of us that were stuck there for a couple I think It was like a no, it was seven of us for 11 days.
0: No power for no power, lot, yeah. no AC, not a lot of water. August, I think, is that right? Um, I was, Irma was August, then Maria was September, yeah, something I, like that. I'd have to fact, it was, it was hot, hot.
1: <laughs> it was hot, it was definitely not a good time to be without AC.
0: Right.
1: And um, I remember thinking, man, I gotta get, I gotta take it. These people need a break from me, like, they need a break from me, I need a break from them, they need a break from me. We've been living on top of each other. We were sleeping in a uh, border patrol station for three nights. You know, it's just been uncomfortable, cramped. Like, not that that's a bad thing. I know people sleep in worse conditions, but we had just been up too, too much with just a very small group of people, and and they were like, "Oh, you can take vacation," but that felt guilty because there was work that needed to be done. So, okay, I'll go to Puerto Rico. And I remember you just came back because you evacuated with our oldest dog, Franklin. And I was like, hey, babe, nice to see you. Yeah. I got to go to Maria, and I'm not going to have any cell phone reception. So I think I took a lot of lessons from Katrina. Um, I, I packed my bag very Katrina appropriately with all the things that I remembered I wished I would have had during Katrina. So I remember going to the store and buying specific things that I, I knew that I wish I would have had to provide to people.
0: That's good you remember that after 12 years it must have had a big impact.
1: Yes, I'm waiting for you to ask me what they were. But, you know, things like emoti-meti. Yeah. You know, like things when you're not around potable water a lot and you just, you know, you know you're know you not going to have sanitation and sewage. Like I bought toilet paper, but like the little economy, you know, you could pack it around and stuff like that. That is just funny that you're like, I got to make sure I have this. Because you sure. want to be self-sustaining when you respond to these things. But when I got there, like I said, I, you know, we land there. We unload, we, we landed at actually Barincon on the western half of the island, and our destination was San Juan. We were going to go help San Juan. But when we landed at Barincon, and again, Commander Olson retired, you know, used to be commander, now just Tobias Olsen. He uh, basically made the decision real quick that we were just going to stay in Barincon because nobody had really been in, co- there hadn't been a lot of support to that side of the island yet.
0: This guy was such on the periphery peripheral it
1: was, it was and it, this was really soon after i want to say this was three or four days into the event this wasn't and they later. they took
0: almost a direct hit on maria didn't they, they? Didn't. yeah
1: mm-hmm. and they had been without power from irma and without power before that for a prolonged period of time because they had power grid power grid issues so there was just they had compounding events leading up to maria so maria was kind of like the final blow in my understanding of this no situation. pun intended that is true yeah. that you should have had it done it it's not an owl. Oh, okay. You need the da-da-da. Yeah. But, um, but the first thing I noticed when I was driving around was, I noticed, um, you know, one, there was an agency building there. I think it was Air and Marine, Co- or Customs and Border Patrol Air and Marine. And I noticed they had a building at the uh, airport that we landed at because we landed at the Coast Guard air station there. I noticed that there was an army unit next to the Coast Guard barracks. I noticed that there was another agency kind of escaping me but I and I was like well what are all these people doing but everybody was so short-handed and so stressed you know there was no extra people there were no extra hands to get on deck and so here we came in and there were only I think five of us at the time I think eight total at the time for our team and we were just those eight extra hands to do all of that reach out so you know every morning like I said my my job the first week I was like you know what I looked at you know Mr. Olson I said hey I'm gonna you know see what's going on and I put on my backpack and I went out the door at seven and I found all sorts of crazy modes of transportation to go out to all these agency buildings that I saw and kind of get what they were doing because again no internet no cell phones no phones not even
0: carrier pigeons
1: No, there were no carry all the birds left the island right so so that that
0: infrastructure was was devastated it was
1: it was so there was no way to communicate unless you physically went around and talked to everybody individually now we had people setting up communication for us and we were able to get it all stood up within a week or two weeks but our job was to bring people to the table and establish an incident command with all these entities and work together because emergencies happen and i think the first thing everybody wants to do is they want to collapse into themselves and this is not speaking of maria this is just emergency Just in general
0: general speaking yeah.
1: you want to collapse into yourself your resource protection right you don't want to give up your resources they're valuable and so you have to like you have to build that agency of trust between all these people that don't usually play in the same sandbox and and the needs
0: isn't that almost like a primitive tribal mentality right it's survival survival right?
1: survival right so you know you could even go back to your closed-minded open-mindedness thing and say you get very closed-minded because it's you just you you become closed within yourself
0: no i like that analogy of collapsing within yourself just within your agency your organization
1: yes right so so you have to figure out how to a open those doors back up and then b share those resources, mutually beneficial, because that's when, if you don't have that mutual beneficialness, it, it kind of defeats the point. Of, it defeats the purpose. You don't want to take from one agency or another throughout any of these processes. And there's always haves and have nots, right? So there's people that have and people that have not, especially in emergency management. And so figuring out how to do all that is extremely delicate. So. Um, I think the coup de gras for us was definitely, I, I remember I was sleeping in a drash tent. So they're massive hangars, And I felt like I just saw the tire of this massive dinosaur, brontosaurus of airplanes go by. And the gentleman that stepped out was probably m- one of the most impressive leaders I've ever seen. I and mean, you want to talk about leadership, again, that's somebody I would talk about leadership with. Um, With the Air Force and basically the Air Force came in and said hey, we you know, this is what we do. We establish Resource distribution centers all over the world Afghanistan everywhere, you know, and he came in and he provided all these resources We brought him into that fold into that table You know FEMA we were able to track down the FEMA representative and we were able to get all these people to the same table And what we ended up accomplishing was we had a food we ended up basically coming up with a distribution plan for over 500,000 people in the Western half of Puerto Rico. So it ended up being this really great productive system that required, age, and not just not just federal agencies. I mean, I was going into the local emergency management centers, and um, you know, going back to, I remember I had another Coastie who was a fluent Spanish speaker, he was from Puerto Rico. And I sat through this meeting that was all in Spanish. And at the end of it, he's like, okay, well, I looked at him and I'm like, all right, well, I got that the water is about ready to like the water, the tiles that hold the aqueduct. And I, I started explaining what they were worried about. And he's like, do you speak Spanish? And I'm like, no, but there was so much body language to pick up on. You know what I mean? They were, they were drawing stuff on the board. There was body language, there was hand signals, there was gestures. There were things that I could pick up on without necessarily understanding, and of course I know what agwa is, but there were things that I could pick up on that I didn't need interpreted based on the tone and their inflection of the way they were saying it. You know, if somebody says something's a problem, they usually don't say it and then laugh. You know, you can read their face, you can do that. And so... Is that part
0: of your cultural anthropology? That and, like I
1: said earlier, how I grew up. Yeah. So
0: reading the room reading the people you're with yes
1: yes read the room bill sure yeah so we um we ended up you know doing that i was only gone i think i was gone for like 20 some days maybe and i caught a flight home Um, it was a great experience i think that emergency management wise i was beyond myself impressed um, at how I think we've improved as an agency and how everybody's improved as an agency with response to to disasters. I know I couldn't see a lot of the reporting that was going on back home with regards to all of it, but the experience I had there was I I we had learned a lot personally and I think professionally and agency wise, we had learned a lot from Katrina and we'd applied it, which was really great to see.
0: Right. You talked about the pilot they got off the C five. Mm-hmm. And you said he was one of the most impressive leaders. What does that? Why do you say he was impressive? What does that mean? So, why do you characterize him as an at the time as an impressive leader? Just trying to unpack leadership a little bit. Because for me, what does that mean?
1: It's based on my value. What I value in leaders. So, what I value in a leader is competence. I value a person who can stand up and can and can command a room and basically take chaos and turn it into order. Mm. That's what I value. And that's what I see. You know, we always are going back and forth on what the definition of a leader is or leadership. Right. What's the definition. We always talk about leadership. There's
0: no universal agreed upon definition.
1: There is no universal agreed upon definition. That's why I provided my definition of why I think there's, I think an effective leader can do those things. And when he landed, and he assessed the area and I gave him everything I had been doing. And I said, okay, well, what can you do and how can I help you? Because at that point, I'm a follower. So what's my job now is to help you be your best leader. Right? So what do you need from me? And,
0: and Was he a colonel? Do you remember what rank he was?
1: I don't, I don't remember his rank. Um, I know his name and I've emailed him since because I've, I've definitely wanted to keep in in contact with him because I mean, he had, you could tell that he had had, the, he had had the experience, the training, and even if he didn't have the resources, he knew how to bring the resources to bear. And when he got off the plane, everybody knew exactly what they were supposed to do. I mean, I've never seen, I had joked because there had to be a, a flag guy, right? So there had to be a flag guy because when I walked in to meet him, they had been what there.
0: What? Flag guy? What is that? I'm yeah. getting there. Okay.
1: They had been there maybe 10 minutes. And they had tents. Everything was up. They had a full computer system. They had comms. And at the end of the trash tent that I walked into, there was an American flag hanging at the back. And there was an American flag on a pole out front. <laughs> well, a couple days later, they needed. they found a better location for their setup. And I felt like I blinked. And i saw the flag on the right at their old place and then i saw that whole community moved across the airfield to the other place and sure enough the american flag was up there and when i drove across and i went into the thing there was an american flag on the back of the tent And i'm like there's got to be a guy for that there's got to be one dude whose like job when they land is to establish that this is america's like so and the reason i found that so funny is just because of how efficient it was like that detail, to make sure that that was hung, was was taken care of. But there was also this entire wall of computers that were functioning. And so it was super impressive. And that's what I meant by, you know, it wasn't him physically doing it, but he was, you know, you knew he was responsible for that. He was the person not physically doing everything, but he also wasn't walking around and micromanaging these processes. You could just tell that he had, the, he had the trust and confidence in his followers and his followers had the trust and confidence in his leadership that they were going to do what they were supposed to do when they landed and that he didn't need to check up on it. And then if something went wrong, though, or they needed something, they could go to him and ask him for it.
0: Yeah, I think um, that's a pretty good lesson on leadership right there is trying to find if it's there and then create the conditions of order from chaos
1: and it was phenomenal how or how just precise he was with all of that right so i'm sure he, and
0: he couldn't have done that alone i mean he needed no, a lot of all. people to help not out. at all
1: and actually his uh his second um again if i could i don't wish i could remember all the details but i remember that guy just being a very commanding person and and me looking up to both of them and saying, man, that was, that was those people were impressive. Right. That dude was impressive.
0: So Maria was a pretty amazing experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw the destru- destruction and chaos and lives affected, you know, with the, obviously the, the negative side. And then try to restore some sense of order and habitability for for the, for the people on the island, right? And then super beneficial.
1: I think my, you know, I did do an emergency management degree based on my experiences in Katrina and, and my experience. You were in the
0: final stages of your grad program. That right? was
1: actually my capstone class was when all of those hurricanes hit. Right. And I ended up shifting my capstone class around because of loss of power deployments sure. and just everything. Um, and I ended up doing my capstone project on my my experiences in Maria
0: which is some of the best knowledge yes. right that hands-on experiential knowledge yes empirical it,
1: was a, it was a very interesting 30 page just
0: yeah and your press professor was super excited to get that paper i remember him
1: absolutely he he. You know he said great things about it and it was kind of off of what i was supposed to have done but i think in a way it was also a little bit of a blessing because that was my download from that experience too I had a very. We talked
0: about being outside of the situation. Yeah, so now reality. I'm back
1: out of theater. I'm home, and I'm looking even at you, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you about what just happened. Yeah. You know, I I don't know. You
0: how Did some pretty to- random things down there. I
1: did. I did. There was a horse involved on one, but that was funny.
0: Then you have diesel donuts.
1: Oh, I forgot about those. Yes. Yes, the donuts. They. Uh, yes they didn't have propane or something for their ovens so they used diesel to make donuts and um
0: did they taste like diesel fuel
1: yes aggressive diesel tasting donuts and then again you you know somebody's so kind to provide you food you don't want to so i just ate it
0: yeah that's <laughs> and, funny.
1: and everybody else was kind of sneaking disposing of it you know just kind of like you know not eating it when you're
0: hungry for donuts you're hungry for donuts
1: oh man it was bad yeah but i hadn't had my supplies that i remembered from hurricane katrina so i only had an upset stomach for um just a little bit of time
0: nice
1: i forgot all about the diesel donuts yes
0: any final thoughts on that experience before we wrap it up
1: um my biggest final thought was or just
0: the leadership in general
1: was again, I, I don't consider myself a leader in that process. What I do consider myself was- You were consider, a
0: manager of processes?
1: I considered um, Toby Olson a leader. And my final thought on that was again, speaking of an impressive dude, I remember I did something on a day that dramatically overstepped my authority and responsibility and I was working for him. Um, I came back, and I was telling him what I did, and he asked me, he said, hey, did you do this? And I'm like, yes. And I, if there's, everybody has that person, they don't want to disappoint. You know what I mean? You have that person that you just...
0: You respect them and admire oh them gosh, so you much, do. right?
1: you I respect and admire that man. I had worked with him on a deployment before, on a temporary duty, and yeah. I... I respected and admired him and I could read his face well enough to know that I had just done him a disservice and I was devastated inside that I had disappointed him. And um, I mean, it's the same feeling you have when you're 10 years old and, you know, you mess up. So he looked at me and he's like, kind of looked at me. He's not He does not get angry. He's not a person that gets angry outwardly. And
0: very stoic.
1: He is very stoic. I know you like yeah he's very stoic he doesn't get mad angrily and he just he said he acknowledged that he knew that my intentions were not foul and you know what I mean like he had this way he has this way of correcting you and disciplining you without demeaning you and I hope that I do that I don't know if I do that time will tell but if somebody were to say if somebody were to look back on me or look you know i leave and they're like you know i remember working for miss schaefer and she had a way of disciplining and correcting me and keeping me accountable without demeaning me i would say to them oh that's because of toby olson and there's been many others but that was probably in a stressful and emergency environment it is so easy to lose your head it's so easy to lose your temper get lost in chaos overreact it's a big one right because it's all chaos the world has ended you're you're at the seventh circle dante's seventh circle of hell you know it's it's you're going down and things aren't going well and somehow he just had that ability not to do that and that was super impressive um and i still am like reliving feeling bad (laughs) i felt really bad yeah. No, we don't need to discuss what it was. I did that was wrong, but it was. Sure. It was I shouldn't have done that. It well,
0: was. the leadership lesson is is how he handled it. It was. It was exactly. And then how, how he handled you it. saw that and tried to model that. You know, yes. It's and obviously. then in,
1: and then in turn as a follower, this is why I wish we harp on followers. You know, my thing wasn't, you know. Screw him. He got mad at me, and I'm just trying to do my job, and I'm just trying to be better. No, I genuinely wanted to make sure that I did better the next day. You know, like. Okay, I messed up today.
0: Of course, that correct. wasn't
1: good. Like, can't let that happen again. Can't fail the team. You know what I mean? Like, they're depending on me type thing. And then you go out and you try harder to do better.
0: Yeah, I think part of or a big part of followership is taking the cues and trying to not make the same mistake twice.
1: Absolutely, good and bad.
0: Yeah, sure, total, total. good and bad. So, all right, Jess. Final thoughts, leadosophy in general.
1: Uh, you are probably the most patient patient person on the planet that I've ever met. I don't know if uh, you're probably going to seamlessly put this together. and We're not going to have video. Uh, this process took five hours.
0: I think we started about one o'clock. It's now. Yes,
1: I had a couple. Three. I had a couple search cases. Search our, and rescue. Our dogs were, yes, search and rescue cases in the middle of it. Um, our dogs were not cooperating
0: um it was fun i enjoyed it i enjoyed uh talking about your experiences you know coast guard non coast guard and how they how they have shaped you and and molded you and for good for better whatever and any final thoughts on the show leadosophy any any advice for leadosophy parting words of wisdom y'all wants to know
1: (laughs) parting words of wisdom I think that because I live with you, I see and I know those moments where you are articulating things that I experience that I just don't know how to articulate as eloquently as you. You know, I I compare it to Pride and Prejudice. You know, nowadays, I'm just like, hey, I love you and I wanna date you, right? But back in Jane Austen's era, there's, this very eloquent way that people interacted—they um, basically used words as, as like a, a foreplay. They, they had a whole different way of communicating with each other. And so, what I find fascinating—and I'd already said it—is that your, your philosophical background is finding another way to communicate leadership. And sometimes, for someone like me who's in the throes of it, that can be that can make me very impatient and very. You know, you know, I'm like, no, it's not this complicated, or no, I have a hard time because I have a hard time downshifting because I'm I'm in the five miles an hour. You know, I'm, I'm doing, you know, a hundred in the fast lane, and so I need to just intentionally downshift and really take in what you're saying. And so, if there's any other people that are in that same position, that start listening to you for that same reason, there, because I know why I listen to you and why I want to listen to you is you. I
0: force you to listen to me.
1: You do not. <laughs> you do not.
0: I download my podcast like on the phone every, morning. every
1: time I feel like you're shocked every time I listen to you or I have feedback you're like, oh, you listen to that episode and I'm like, yes. Um, but no, I'm just saying you know as leaders we do seek out as much as we hate leaders you know I, I talked about I don't like leadership books that are prescriptive, right So I seek out things that are non prescriptive, that are dialogue based that challenge me that that do stuff and that's what Leadosophy does. Um, but it does it in such a different way that it's like learning a, a little bit of learning a new language for me, and so I just say that for others listening to allow your time to allow yourself time to learn that new language, if you haven't caught on yet, it's pretty awesome. Or as my nieces would say, it's awesome sauce with a side of French fries. No. Oh, gosh. Ingrid's going to be so mad at you. Yeah. it's awesome sauce with a side of sweetness. Oh, okay. Any last thoughts for me?
0: Any last thoughts for you? No, I mean, you know, I look at your Coast Guard career and, uh, you know, coming up on 19 years, still undetermined how much time you have left. Mm-hmm. You may still, you may have two years left and may decide to to pursue another life, career, choice. Or you may go another 10 years. And I think...
1: Which is funny, as my husband, you don't even know what that is, so... I
0: do, have no idea. Yeah. Which I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. You kind mm-hmm. of live in the moment. That's why I, one of the things I admire about you is... You just kinda of take it as it comes, you know, the as David Bohm once said, the the past is no longer and the future is yet to be. So
1: See that's that uh articulation of thought.
0: Yeah, and you, you do a good job of, of living in the moment and you taught me that a lot of a lot of respects and kinda of takes some of the anxiety away, you know, when you just focus on the here and now and going to work every day and making a difference. And you do that. I'm I'm proud to say that I know you do that, try to make a difference every day and I know you're a great teacher and and mentor and you love to you like to teach you like to show other people the right ways to do things especially on the technical competence side which i am such a big fan of technical competence being competence in your job because i truly believe your leadership effectiveness effectiveness is completely linked to technical competence Mm -hmm. because the first has got to come technical competence has got to come before the ladder, right?
1: Yeah, but what happens if you find yourself in that leadership position and you don't have the technical competence?
0: Then you have to be very willing to seek the the ideas and opinions and knowledge and information from others.
1: And that was back to that conversation we had about the uh, Bass That's leadership right. handbook. So, I'll see, yeah. full circle.
0: Full circle. Full circle. So now I uh, I'm honored that you were here and taking a lot of questions. I mean, yeah, we had a lot of intermittent breaks, but you. We're very descriptive in a lot of ways where, like I said, someone will take some things you said to to heart and you know, you'll know help someone out and deepen someone's understanding of leadership. You did mine, so I'm thankful and grateful for that. All right, thanks for listening to this two-part series of my interview with Lieutenant Jessica Schaefer. Remember, leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding it's
1: been a long conversation
0: to deepen our understanding of leadership and life i would say there's a lot of Mm -hmm. life values and principles and things that we may believe to be so true that maybe they're not so all right everybody thanks for thanks for listening see you next time
1: thanks for watching and listening to another episode of leadosophy if you liked what you heard today.